All right, all right, all right. Let's flip this around. All right. Here I am. We're live. Nice time. Here we go. So, we're, guys, we're going to get Chen in here. I think I've got to ask. Here we go. Yes, we did it. Hey, how are you, hey. buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for making this happen. Thank you for uh, being so um, welcoming and, and open for this. Um, really appreciate it. I know it can be a bit tricky to discuss these topics, but um, I'm really happy that we can do it. And I think so many people want to, to hear about that. So yeah. thank you for making the time to do it. To, to oh, please. Thank you. Thank you for your work, too. I really feel like the sort of narrative with uh, what it is that we do with any sort of Israel advocacy can be really confusing, right? And yeah. I guess I'll just jump right in because I feel like we're sort of always um, put in this position, like you're either for or against, right? Uh, exactly. And I think that's always really complicated as well. And, you know, I found, I think, you know, you have a great, great social media account. Um, not only is it like fun and informative and smart, but I think that what you say, I think that you articulate things that so many people feel, but we're like not in a position either uh, like intellectually like me or just in general, we're always sort of like one or the other all the time, right. you know? And I think that, um, uh, especially when it comes to things like food uh, or like cultural appropriation or things that inevitably we have to discuss. Uh, I think that it was, it was your, it was like, you can be, you can care or love Israel or, or advocate for Israel and not be anti-Palestinian, you know? And I think that's the, the big, um, the big sort of question. And I was actually even looking at what your Instagram post announcing this, uh, uh, and somebody commented and said, oh, I watched Mike's doc Michael's documentary and uh, I thought that he felt like Israeli cuisine didn't exist, you know? And I was like... Yeah, that was one of the questions. It was, uh, um, they asked, uh, um, if I recall correctly, so one of, uh, argued in his documentary that there's no such thing as Israeli cuisine. I would push back on that because many countries' cuisines are composed of wide area of culinary disciplines. So yeah, what, what would you comment to that? I mean, I wanted to reach out. I don't normally comment like back yeah. to people on Instagram, but I was like, could you watch it again, please? <laughs> because, oh, and also, I mean, like, uh, there's no way, like tone is really difficult, I think, on social media. So I feel like there's no way that I could say, um, like, I respectfully disagree. I would probably reach out to that person. Uh, and I hope that she's watching too and say, like, I, I have dedicated my entire adult life and career to advocating for Israel for food. And, um, right. you know, I think that, uh, so I, I think that that is, um, uh, I don't think that's correct. And I believe that Israeli cuisine exists and all those things. But I also think that like, you know, I think that the, uh, you know, as sort of ambassadors or people that believe in things like equality and equal rights or try to be empathetic for marginalized populations i think that we also have to like discuss palestinian cuisine and i don't think that like you know i don't think that we should there should we should be so apprehensive about those those discussions and also for like uh arab chefs to be able to talk about israeli cuisine constructively and say like this is how it makes me feel and um 
and the sort of political and social and emotional implications of discussing Israeli cuisine as a Palestinian chef, how that would, you know, like, I think those things are very relevant, but I, I don't think that um, because I talk about Palestinian cuisine, somehow it makes me like anti-Israel or doesn't, you know, yeah. I believe, I believe in Israel. I believe in Israeli culture. I believe in um, uh, diaspora cuisine. I believe in Israeli cuisine. And this is like what I've, this is what I do. So. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've watched the, the movie a couple of times actually, and, the message is clear. You're saying that it's more complex than just one cuisine. It's not, um, uh, this, the answer is that there are many answers, I guess. And, and, and I think that we are at a, at a time and age and that um, speaking about nuance is becoming very difficult and people um, want you to pick a side and they want you to brand yourself as something. And you can't, um, you know, you, you mentioned this Instagram post that I posted that came after, I mean, I, I think I felt at the same place that you're at because I do support a two-state solution, and I just as much as I support Jewish national rights, I can't deny other people from their um, national rights, and and I can't say that you know you you need to respect Israeli cuisine while erasing other communities and other marginalized groups um, from their own uh, identity. Um, how do you navigate between those places of of being so you're you're very outspokenly pro-Israel Zionist? I don't think that was something. I mean, your restaurants are incredible and and celebrating. Israeli cuisines. Um, yeah, I mean, but how do you, where do you find the balance there? I just didn't think, I guess what is so fascinating to me is that I didn't think that opening an Israeli restaurant would be, um, would be political, you know? And I remember uh, figuring out what we were going to call this because I don't think when we, when we, Steve, my business partner and I opened uh, Zahav in 2008, there nobody like knew what Israeli food was, and right. and uh, to be, give you a little context, we were cooking all sort of um, molecular food, and if you wanted to be a fancy chef, you you know you had a certain path, and yeah. you had to plate things a certain way, and so on and so forth. But um, we were doing all this deconstructing and clarifying and sous vide this and that, and then I'd like go back home and I'd get off the plane and I'd go to like um, you know Shchonot Atikva and eat at like restaurant Busi where it's like. Right fucking laffa and like <laughs> kebabs and saladim yeah. and i was like this is what we want to eat right so then we understand um that we had to uh you know that we wanted to open an israeli restaurant and then i remember talking to our publicist at the time and she said well don't you think that's like political and i was like well no what are you fucking talking about political no you know and then and then you know, I, maybe I was naive as well. I mean, there are certain things that I've, certain, certain sensitivities and certain things that I've realized after doing this for a long time, um, either being uh, slightly, uh, you know, woke to like, to, I mean, one of my best friends is uh, uh, Palestinian and she's um, an incredible cookbook author and might as well be my family, right? And I just think that like, I didn't, I wasn't in that position before. I, I, I don't know. You know, so I feel like things sort of change and then you understand um, context much better, right? And so for me, and I think I was saying this before, like I grew up in a relatively left to left center family. Uh, and, you know, we grew up non-racist and uh, obviously uh, embraced the idea of self-identification as, as Jews and Israelis and wouldn't take that away from like publicly or, or even idealistically uh, or ideologically against Palestinians or anything like that. But like 
when I grew up, the word Palestine wasn't used unless it was like a very negative connotation, right? And I said this to you before, and I know this is like, as Jews or as Israelis and as defensive Israelis, like it makes you feel a certain way. You have this sort of emotional feeling. If somebody says Palestine or Palestinian, sort of in our circle or, or before, let's say 20, 30 years ago, right. it was in reference to like a terrorist or a gunman. It wasn't, we weren't talking about food because if we were talking about food, you would say Arab, right? And I know that there's a justification for that too. And I know that we can like sit and go back and forth. But even that, even just saying, you know, I've got a very good friend that wrote a Palestinian cookbook. It, there is something that sort of happens emotionally to you if you are like me growing up in a, you know, Zionist family. So, yeah, I just think that like those, I think trying to be as sensitive to that as possible and also giving like, as much context as you can, particularly in the US where we love to say you're fucking racist or you're this or, oh, Israeli restaurant, you must hate Palestinians. Or, you know, I, I posted once a, a, a headline of, of my, my friend's um, Washington Post article that was actually written by an editor. It wasn't even written by her. And it was talking about the way that the term Israeli food and how that for her felt like erasure, you know? And I wrote like, you know, this is my friend, even though we like disagree on things and like proud and so on and so forth. And it was like the, sh the craziness, the responses were totally insane because this is emotional and because like, you know, Palestinian chefs and Palestinians in general feel like they've had things taken away from them, from Israelis. So of course, if I make a bowl of hummus and people love it, because our hummus is fucking awesome. It probably pisses them off, right? And and we could go back and, you know, have a political discussion or a history discussion. That doesn't, it just doesn't matter. It's not, I mean, those things do matter, obviously. But when you're talking about something as uh, personal as, um, you know, sort of family dinners and um, sort of identification, particularly with a, with a, a population of people that have, you know, politically or sort of like have issues with that, um, it gets very sensitive. And I think that we, I don't know. So I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I've gone off on a tangent and I've yeah, had way no, too much property today, but. But, but um, I think what you're, what you're touching on is so important that, that we need to recognize trauma of both sides. And, and you're speaking about this trauma that Jewish people have from the history of Palestine and Palestinians and why these terms are, are touching a sensitive place, but also what it does to Palestinians. And we should absolutely understand that, that there was, there, there's two, there, you know, it's a bloody conflict. Like there's no side that hasn't suffered in this conflict. Well, right? and also, and so, and then the alternative to that as well is this idea that uh, Israel or like Israeli cuisine is somehow all theft or it's invalid because that's also right. what we're scared of. Right? right. And I, I try to explain this to like non-Jewish friends and I'm like, I am always like, I feel like we're always a few degrees away from like pogroms or, you know, of, or worse, right? And I, and I don't think, so when you talk about, if you try to invalidate or discredit Israeli cuisine, then what you're also doing is erasing like Jewish diaspora, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, you're Iraqi, so like, um, I don't know, like 40% or 50, like an astounding amount of, of Baghdad at one point was Jewish. Yeah. And there are no, uh, how many Jews are there in, in Iraq right now? Two. Fucking zero. 
right, too. And they probably have a really rough life, right? So the only place that you can get Iraqi Jewish cooking is now in Israel. Or in, you or know, Zahav. one, or in Zahav, right? Exactly. Or we make Kube. Uh, yeah. So I get it. But like, that's the other, the sort of flip side to this is that like diasporic Jewish cooking is only found in a couple places. And what Israel has is not only um, indigenous food from Palestinians and from Druze and Bedouins and everybody and Palestinians from West Bank and from Aza and all that. But what you also have is a hundred different gastronomies from all over the world where it doesn't exist anymore. There are no more Yemenite Jews in Yemen, right? Yeah. So Yemenite, so eating Morak Temani, uh, you know, with Shug and Khilbe and eating Kubana, like that doesn't exist in Yemen anymore. So the only place that you have that is in Israel. And it is very important if you deny or say that Israeli food is all stolen, then what you're doing is erasing our history as well. So I, I, I think that like the easiest thing for me to do is, is, um, is to try to embrace this and try to sit with some really difficult and uncomfortable conversations. I mean, I don't, you know, I think that I know your politics and I think that we probably agree on just about everything. There is like nobody in my circle that doesn't believe in equal rights in general, right? right? Yeah. And so I think that when you're looking at certain political situations and, and dynamics that go on in a country that you love, that we spent our life defending, it is very difficult. I mean, it's, you, I don't want to, I don't need to be an apologist for like, for politicians and for lobbyists and lawmakers that I don't agree with. But like, right. we do, we do fall into that role sometimes as well, you know, where you have to educate and defend all the time and, and, um, but, you but know, I think that also comes from how much we are being attacked and being, and, and, you know, the idea that Israel has no cuisine is just a politically correct way to dehumanize Israelis to say, yeah. you know, those people, they're not people because they're stealing everything. They're stealing the land they're stealing the culture. And if, and if people have no culture, they're not people, right? Right. Well, definitely. And that you're just sort of invalidating and saying that it's made up. And like, although modern Israel is new, it is valid it's where we're from and mm. and uh and there is a cuisine i mean national cuisine in general and this is something that uh my friend actually re wrote about in her book arabesque which is amazing but you know na the nation state is like a relatively new concept especially mm. especially uh you know in the middle east or in the arab world or sort of po post-ottoman arabia like um so national cuisine also is like kind of silly it doesn't what's the national cuisine of israel if you ask anybody on the street it's probably falafel which is fourth century coptic christian hummus which is like was probably not invented by palestinians or israelis or maybe it was lebanese maybe but everybody kind of has uh, hummus or what else shawarma which was you know 16th or 17th century turkish so i you know the national and the actual national dish of israel was jellied calf's foot i think that was the last actual yeah and that was some romanian kibbutznik yeah. shit that nobody eats in israel <laughs> anyways so but but you know i i think about this a lot too and like there's always this sort of double standard which i think is like when i defend i have to be careful as well because i don't again this doesn't go back to like justification of occupation or anything towards palestinians but i am like why is it that like lebanon and syria can have the same national dish mm -hmm. and nobody has a problem with that or find the irony 
that like, because we know that Syria controlled Lebanon for so long and so on and so forth. So they can have fried kibbeh and share it. And yet if I make fucking falafel here, I'm like somehow this like thief. It's like totally backwards on the, and then like the flip side to that is obviously like if you're a Palestinian that has like, has to wait it four hours in a checkpoint or, or, um, you know, doesn't have equal rate if you're a Palestinian Israeli or whatever, like it, it, fucking hurts i'm sure to have some guy that looks kind of i'm half sephardic but i might as well you know be white in terms of what people think of me you know frying falafel and and you know i'm actually promoting my falafel restaurant right here booyah so i'm sure i'm sure it sucks it totally sucks um yeah and the judean warrior saying it's called anti-semitism and that is a good point it's the double standard is the thing that we're always scared of right um, but I think it's very important um, to recognize kind of where it's coming and where it's where you you direct your defense. Um, and so, like, I don't I would never I've never claimed Israel has never claimed to invent all these things. We are very good at marketing stuff. Right. Okay. And food in particular. This is something that I've done for a very, very long time. I guess to me. Uh, what I get concerned about is like the fact that you know, like China, like we're going to order like Chinese food later on tonight. I'm not like, man, the Uyghur Muslims that are all in concentration camps right now, like that, you know, is like, is, uh, is the thing that I get concerned about too. And and that's the, the thing that we all grow up with, with our, our guard up. Right. Because we're all yeah. fucking scared. We're all fucking scared of this double standard, you know, but I, but I think that specifically when it comes to things like Palestinian cuisine and, Palestinians um, sort of in Israel or, or not, I, I do think it's important to be able to recognize um, sensitivities uh, specifically as they relate to the sort of political aspect of what it is that we're talking about, identification, self-determination. Those are things that have to go hand in hand. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the point that really resonates with me is that, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm speaking on college campuses. I'm go Before COVID, I was going to college campuses and I was sharing the story of coming out as a gay person in the Israeli army and how I was accepted by my fellow soldiers and how it was, you know, the challenges of, 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 of being an openly queer person in this, in this society, uh, which is not that much challenges compared to other societies. Of course. Um, but every time I was trying to speak about it, immediately it was shut down and people would protest me and say that it's pinkwashing to speak about gay rights in Israel and that anything positive about Israel must be condemned. And you think if someone from, you know, a gay person from Iran would go to America and start speaking about his experience as a gay person, he'll be celebrated anywhere else. It doesn't matter what the policies of a country is. If, if a marginalized person comes and shares those stories, they usually are celebrated. But it seems like with Israel, uh, if, it's, if it's personal stories, if it's, if it's the cuisine as well, um, those things are being shut down and dismissed as political. And I think that once this campaign, and, and you're right when you're saying that, we, you know, we are scared of it. And the reason that we are scared is because of the going back to the trauma that we have. Um, but I think I'll take it to another place that this, you know, this, the story of, of the Jewish, of Israeli cuisine is a story of, of survival. And, and you've seen it in the movie and you spoke about it, about the people that you met and the, and the kitchen that, and the, and, the, and the food that they were bringing uh, with them. Um, is this, you know, you, you, you had your, I mean, I recommend everyone to watch the movie and to go to all of your restaurants, like 100%, but I would say, but my, the question is, um, it, did your has your opinion changed since the movie on on Israeli cuisine, or is it pretty much the same answer that you know that it's not just definite? 
I believe, no, I mean, I, even when we shot the film, I believe that there is Israeli cuisine. I've never not, I mean. Right, I, right, right, yeah. No, it's that is never. One, right? It's it's diverse, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. No, 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 Israeli cuisine is, it is what, a hundred different gastronomies in the same place, yeah. right? It is indigenous food, it is diasporic food, but not just from the different, not just from the different countries because uh, we've got laws of kashrut that make it different. We've also got Shabbat, Right? right, and we've got holidays. So in every, if whether it's Polish, whether it's Moroccan, whether it's like Balkan, like either Greece or, or sort of like post post Spanish, right? right? You've got dishes that have to be prepared on Friday that eat on Saturday, right? right. You've got cassoulet, which I think was actually also stolen as well. Yeah. Um, like cassoulet and fish and chips. Sephardic Jews should have fucking trademarked that. Yeah, speaking, yeah. Of, <laughs> speaking of appropriation, right? So, um, so well, you've got all... The British people have nothing of their own. They had to steal everything from... Yeah, but you know what I think is... Okay, so no, 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 wait, wait, though. Wait, let's get back to Britain in one second. So you've got all those different things, right? All the different Jewish cuisines, and then you have the uh, Palestinian cuisine. You've got Druze, Levantine, North. You've got Gazan, like, which is Egypt and South. You've got North Africa. And then you've also got this convergence of the spice and the silk root. You've right. got ancient and modern agriculture and winemaking. You've got the Red Sea. You've got the Sea of Galilee. Now you have people harvesting salt from the Dead Sea. And you've got the Mediterranean. And you have snow, and you have like dairy making in the south. You have Nabathean agriculture coming from floods that happen once a year. Once Nabatheans were in control of the spice route. I mean, they yeah. had to they had to make the desert bloom, and we're re reviving that as well. That is what Israeli cuisine is. It only happens in one place, and right. the place is the size of fucking New Jersey, and it is like ridiculous. It is excellent. So I've always felt that way, mm. um, but I think that like. Obviously, to you know, I was asked to be in the documentary, which is incredible. I have to say that of, I think I know Israel very well. I know Israeli food very well. We were there for three and a half weeks shooting. I would say that like 75% of the places that we went to, I had never heard of before. Mm. And that to me is, um, is what's so fascinating, you know? So, I, but those, but, but Ken, those are, those are, those have never, I've never changed. That's always yeah. been what it no, is. No, I mean, I actually, the, the point I was asking is, you, you know, we're, Israeli cuisine today is, is some, if, if, if I look at Zahav's menu, like it's, it's very Middle Eastern. Of course, Israel is in the Middle East and majority of Jews in Israel are descendants of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. But in the movie, you did mention that Ashkenazi food was not something that you weren't as focused on, on with, your, with your cooking. And that's well, what you get. So, so, okay, so Ashkenazi food is fantastic. I mean, I grew up, so I'm like half and half. My dad yeah. um, was like Sephardic Bulgarian. My mom was, mm. you know, like uh, Lithuanian, Russian, but American. And I think Ashkenazi food just gets a really bad rap. I mean, there's yeah. really good, really good Ashkenazi food. But what mm. is interesting is that most of what we're exposed to in North America and actually alternatively in Israel are from people that are fleeing with nothing. Right. So like, you know, whether it's like foraging for like mushrooms and berries or goose fat, right. Which you actually still see in Budapest. That's like one mm. of the rare, except like Jewish food in Budapest is like a thing. Like it's a cool thing. And the way that they treat geese is the way that like we, we treat like pork. It's like the fat is rendered, the liver, the hanging this. I mean, it's like really, awesome but 
everywhere else it was like they were you know they were like fleeing like persecution they had nothing north america didn't have unless it was like delhi i guess in montreal um, but there wasn't a lot to it, and and that's why I think it gets such a bad rap. But but I do like Ashkenazi food. We have a restaurant called Abe Fisher, which is which is Ashkenazi, and it's like North American, Central European as well. And and I think that we make fantastic food. We always have this issue though. People think it's always heavy, or that you should like, you know, that there's like no vegetables also, which is like yeah. totally false. But no, I think that there is fantastic Ashkenazi food. And I think that this next generation, because, you know, Mizrahim, even like even Israelis 20 years ago that wanted to be chefs would leave Israel and they'd go to like France or they'd go to Japan and they'd come back to Tel Aviv and open like a French or a Japanese restaurant. When you're like, you have one grandparent that's Iraqi, one parent, one grandparent that's Moroccan, one that's Yemeni, one that's Polish. Your Saturday lunch is like way more stimulating than any of this other stuff. And I think that also, but in in general, like even in Israel, Ashkenazim like get it kind of a bad rap. I mean, even independence, right? Like right. it was very, it was like almost derogatory as well. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the European Jews, particularly the ones that had escaped the Holocaust, weren't treated super awesome. And like white people in the land of Israel, I don't think totally fit with the narrative of like the strong, um, the strong new Israeli, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that, um, but I think that's changing because I think that like everything else, we want to go back to like where we come from. We want to, we don't want to just erase Israeli food. We're not embarrassed to bring, you know, stuffed peppers to, for lunch anymore to school. Yeah. Right. We don't yeah. have to, we don't have to fall into line. We don't need to, I mean, we eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches here. You obviously don't in Israel, but yeah. when I, my dad would make my lunch, it would be schnitzel, you know, with like pickles or whatever. And I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed. Yeah. And dude, a cold schnitzel sandwich on white bread is like the best thing ever, you know, but that, that goes, that, that goes for everybody as well. The idea to assimilate, I don't think that's what people are interested in, particularly in Israel. Um, they want to go back. To, to, to what they want to hit the diaspora cuisines. They want to be able to translate and transmit the feeling of eating kube, right? Kube selik in the winter. Like you want your kids to know what that is, mm. you know? And yeah. again, it doesn't... I, I grew up being, a, being as well, like ashamed of my, of my grandmother's cuisine. And today it's like, I'm, I'm you know, I look, looking back at my childhood, I'm so ashamed of the, of the person I was. I mean, like to think that this is something to be ashamed of, the flavors that... The, the type of dishes, like, um, I'm telling my, my, but that's, that's what really, that's another question. Do you think there's, this, this, um, this cuisines are being preserved in a way that will be, that will continue to generations or is it turning into something else than what it used to be? Uh, so I think that it is actually being preserved because I think that people realize that they have to hold on to this, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that when we were talking about and identifying Israeli cuisine, it's the mixture of all of them. It's the... Yeah schnitzel in uh, kubes in um with trina and srug and matbucha right yeah, yeah. that's like israeli cuisine yes, yeah. when you're like driving and on on your phone smoking a cigarette <laughs> eating a sandwich so that's israeli cuisine so that that is existing and that happens now definitely mm. and that happens in the states that happens globally and that also is happening in israel um but i think that i do believe in and you know, we have a hard time with it here. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but like the idea of Shabbat, you know, I don't mean from like a religious, I just mean like the idea of going to somebody's home and eating 
you know, having this sort of plethora of food that, that has, um, you know, an emotional or sort of spiritual relationship to the, the, the time before the ancestry, like I, that is something that you get in Israel that is like a very hard thing to hold on to mm. outside. So I'm yeah. not sure if that's what it's like for you as well, but going over to somebody's house, I was talking to my really good friend and um, genius, Adina Sussman. Uh, she talks about Shabbat and how it's like, you know, it's the one thing that she like sort of can't live without, you know, because nobody, there's not a lot of emails and cell phone calls and you go over and you yeah. eat. And, and I even have this, I have this with my, uh, my really good friend, Reem, uh, who's the Palestinian uh, cookbook author too. Like there's something about going over to somebody's house and eating. There's no like start or stop to any meal. It's just like eating and kids playing and there could be a grandmother and a baby and a dog and this and that. And there's no like, Generation, generationally, there's no sort of edits. Like everybody's just kind of together. And that's such a normal thing in Israel. Like, you you know, going to like a neighbor's and sitting next to a grandparent that you never met before, that is not a strange thing. In the States, you would never do that. Mm. You would never, ever do that. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, was the, that was the dream of the Zionists, the early Zionists, that they wanted to create this, you know, secular Jewish identity that you can be. I'm, I'm secular. Most of my friends are secular. But when we're so religious that we don't even understand, you know, we're doing Kiddush, we're doing, we're fasting yeah. Yom Kippur, we're so secular, but we're doing all this stuff that is, that for us is like, it's part of our identity. And you, but I think that in Israel, also, you don't have to chase Shabbat, you don't have to, to chase your, right. you know, uh, the holidays, you know, it's Passover, because all the supermarkets are going to close down the chametz and they're going yeah. to put sign on it, not to touch it. Um, you don't understand that it's around you, but... You know, it's just like Sunday is a day is a day off here, and and in America, it's just like Christmas is a, is a, is a national holiday. For us, those national holidays are part of our identity. But I I, I think that Jewish religion is is important in the diaspora. To I mean, now that I live in the UK in London, I make sure that I find that I mean, I make sure that we're doing kiddush, that we are you know that we're uh, keeping kosher at the house. That um, I, I understand that I need to preserve it to preserve my identity, right? I, I started rapping to fill in like here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like not at all really, I, actually my phone bag is, is right here on my ledge, right? Like, I don't, I mean, I grew up like, I grew up conservative American Jewish, but like certainly right. no more than that. But I, and I do these things, I do these things for that, for preservation. I do them because that's like part of my identity. And even though, religiously uh religious or sort of ideologically i mean i have con you know i could find contradictions in everything that, that we sort of do but like i do this because every time i say the shema and i say it with my kids millions of like our people have said it before me and i'm not and i want to pass it on it means something exactly you know exactly and that's that's exactly my thinking now that I'm, well, we don't have kids yet but we won't, we're talking about having kids one day me and my partner and i'm saying like I want my kids to, it's not about Chen and it's not about what's going on or the rabbinical council or whatever it is like anyway. It's about our history and that's what I'm trying to pass on. I think, I mean, that's what you're doing with your restaurant and that's what you're doing with your, with your cooking and, and with everything you're doing. You're such a powerhouse for our people. I have, I have another question that I want to ask. Um, it, we spoke about Mizrahi cuisine and about Palestinian cuisine that there is a lot of similarities and there are many projects that are trying to bring um, Israeli chefs and Palestinian chefs together and, and, uh, well, there's two parts to this question. The first one is, do you think 
there's, um, it's, it's a good way forward. And, and if you think it is, um, what do you see the future is for, for uh, these two communities um, regarding food, but, uh, but also, I mean, if you can give us a bit broader uh, view of this. I mean, that's a really difficult question. And I oh, wish, yeah. that, I wish uh, that you and I, I know that you and I sort of spend our days and nights contemplating this. <laughs> and I think that there's, first of all, like, I think that there's so much pressure kind of on both sides for mm. it to not happen. And that's what I, I always find to be really suspicious, right? Mm. Every time I do a public dinner with a Palestinian chef, it's like I get fucking hate or she gets hate or like whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, is this so difficult? Yeah. It's just so difficult, right? Um, and and the reality is, is that it should not be. And usually the people mm. that are making the most noise, I actually believe it's a, it's a relatively small but very, very loud right. uh, sort of population. But it is difficult, you know, because what I want to do is like, just like you, I want to live a normal life. I want to have a happy life. I want to like be successful. I want to like raise a family and getting drug into a sort of like very heavy, very, very important political discussion every single time. I, you know, like when I get homo simishu, like it's crazy, right? right? On the other hand, what other way are we going to do that? I mean, diplomatically speaking, we have been failed, right? The people that are in charge that should have the best interest of the people that they govern in, you know, in mind aren't like they aren't doing the job. And I'm not saying right. that this is like an easy thing to do at all, but I just find it to be kind of ridiculous. And then what we're talking about. So like, do I think that like, I'm going to make Kala and we're going to like, there's going to be like peace in the Middle East. No, absolutely not. But you have to have a conversation. And there is something very human about this. Inviting somebody down, sitting somebody down. I mean, there are so many reasons that you and I um, have have been, you know, apprehensive about like having conversations with people and, and right. sort of the inverse of like, we'll, we'll just say Palestinian just to make things like easier now. Because it's it's not just Palestinians, it's the, the Arab world. I mean, the, the, the Israel is, you know, demonized or the enemy for many different reasons. But, like, so there's so much social pressure and so much political pressure. And that is, like, to me, what I have the most problem with. And I'm like, I just don't – so, like, I think that you have to ask why that's happening mm -hmm. and why it's so important for people to to, to create or to – not even create, obviously, because the conflict is there – because there is occupation, because there is death, yeah. because there is genocide, uh, the Jews have experienced, because there is anti-Semitism, there right. is anti-Islam propaganda everywhere. Those things totally exist, right? But it is our job as Jews, as Israelis, as humans, mm -hmm. to be able to like roll up our sleeves and to get rid of this noise mm -hmm. and to say that like the things, the Jewish values that we grew up with, that we will pass down to our kids, right. have to be about moving things forward. And yeah. have to be about trying to make peace and trying to make progress. And I'm not at all saying that like, I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason why these things exist, but it is our responsibility to try to move forward. And if we have to do it through food and through human things like culture and music, then so be it. And I, and you know, I, 10 years ago, I would have made fun of myself for saying this as well. Another right. American Israeli or whatever, thinking they're going to go in there and like create peace, right. With some like, surf initiative, skateboard initiative, food. Yeah. But I have to ask you, Ken, what is it going to be? What is it going to be that's going to actually change things? And it has to come from the human level, I think. And, and if, if food is the way, then let's do it. And we like to eat. And Jewish Israeli is called chops out salat katsus. What do we call that? In Arzot Abri? 
We call that Israeli salad. What do they say in Israel? They Arab say Arab, Arab salad. Yeah. All right. That's the one lesson, dude. It totally, it, it, it exists. So I do think that, that it does have to come from us. And I do think that actually a normalization is such a, like a, I don't, I don't mean it in the political context mm -hmm. with yeah. Jews and, and, and yeah. uh, Palestinians or Arabs or whatever getting together, but this idea that it would be like acceptable for people that maybe disagree on things politically, that maybe are adverse, right. That, that right. have very different histories uh, uh, and have imbalances politically or culturally have to be able to get together and make decisions for the next generation. It is our responsibility to do that. It is. It is. So I do think that, um, right. Small steps first. Somebody said that as, as long as you're taking a step forward, I think that's fine. It is very difficult, especially with the advent of anything social media related to get discouraged. And it is a dark, dark, evil world in the anonymous, you know, Facebook or Insta, which you know probably better than everybody else. I mean, listen, for you to be a Mizrahi Israeli Jew that is queer, like I can't even imagine what your DM inbox looks like <laughs> because we all get it so bad, you know, but I do think it is a small minority that is just very loud and very adamant. And I think that we should as a society really, or as, um, a Jewish and Israeli community be looking very, very hard and very critically about the people that are trying to throw a wrench into any sort of like discussion um, that isn't, you know, violent, that isn't like confrontational. And, and, and those are the, those are the things that we have to sort of keep an eye on. You're so brilliant and you're so spot on. I mean, the, the idea, like, there's a reason why the Palestinians, out of all the Arab minorities in the region, and the Israelis, the Jews, are out of you know are being pitted against each other constantly. It's not like there's no there wasn't violence, and I and I've experienced violence since I was since I was born in Israel, and, and when I was you know when I was 12, when when I was almost killed in a terror attacks, and five years in the in the IDF working as a humanitarian officer, I've working with Palestinians in Hebron, Ramallah, and Jerusalem. I've experienced all of the hatred and all of the violence. But I, I can see, uh, you know, that it's not, it doesn't come from the bottom up. It comes from, uh, from up down, you know, the, from top yeah. down. There's, there's empires that have um, interest in continuing this, this, you know, this conflict. And as you said, it's, it's really minority voices. And that's, that's how I do my social media. And I keep on reminding myself, you know, that it's not, uh, I, I know, I remind myself of the Palestinians that I know, like, like um, your Palestinian chef friend that I read a few articles from how she speaks highly about you and, and she taught me that actually um, bagels are, are, root, are actually the roots are from, <laughs> the East, from Kach, that my grandmother used to make. And, and from her, I learned yeah. that, you know, that's not, not only that it's, it's Ashkenazi, but it's also in some ways Jewish Mizrahi as well. So it's like, yeah. that's, that's the nature of, uh, of food. But I think, you know, this, I agree with you completely, like million percent, these, in, these initiatives and I, and I, you know, the, the people that are, that are, um, 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 that are raising their eyebrows about those initiatives. I, I think they're so wrong. I've, I've seen it happening and I know that enough, you know, they're saying that um, it's a drop in the ocean, but the ocean is made of drops. And the more people are doing it, like we'll create a, a wave that will bring this change. So as a, as a young Israeli, I can tell you that I, like, I'm, I'm fully with you and, and I agree. Um, I just, I have a couple of questions from people that sent us before the, 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 sure. the live that I want to ask. Um, so, um, hmm. what is your favorite Jewish or Israeli dish? Mm. <laughs> you can choose. I one. mean, I don't know. There's so many, right? I so 
I mean, I would say that the most Israeli dish ever is sabich, even though I'm sure you're like, that's that comes from my tabit. But I mean, that was a dish that was invented in Israel, that was created yeah. in Israel, and that obviously comes from Iraq, which is um, really just Iraqi cuisine. Is it, uh, God, what is the name? Is it Orakiva? What is the name of the Iraqi town that has got, um, uh, I don't know, there's like, Oh, is, is pretty Iraqi. Like Super Iraqi, right? Yeah, so I, I want to, like, I haven't been there yet, but there's some fantastic Iraqi restaurants, obviously, in Jerusalem that we go to all the time. But I think Iraqi cooking is, like, I'm not just saying this because it's, like, you and I, but it is, like, <laughs> oh, man, it is so good. So I I feel like um, uh, that story and that sort of, like, the the – creation of Sabih is really fascinating and super important. Yeah. Um, and really the discussion of Amba and the way that it made it from like India to Iraq to mm. Israel, I think is really, really cool. And then eating the Haminados, which like Jews have eaten, you know, for right. millennia, right? So I think that Sabih would be it. But I mean, to me, like I, I use Borekas a lot as the, um, as, a, you know, it's, Borekas are found obviously everywhere too, but like mm. the story of, the Sephardic Jews bringing the dough, the, 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 um, you know, batsekole, right? Like to, mm-hmm. and then uh, having it sort of turn into filo, being conquered right. and controlled by Ottomans who stuffed feta cheese inside of it, mm-hmm. and then bringing it into now like on every street corner in Israel. And the fact that it's like from, you know, my safta is, is really important. But I think we were talking a lot about the schnitzel. I mean, I think the schnitzel sandwich mm. is a great, a great one, right? Yeah. You've got, you've got, uh, Trina, which is um, obviously eaten like everywhere, but was, you know, but like more than likely Palestinians taught like Jews to love it the way that we do. Right. I mean, but yeah. like Ottomans obviously had it. So you've got that, you've got Sug, which is like Temanit, which is a uh, Yemenite, Matbucha, which is North African, um, Schnitzel, which is like European, but then became Israelified because they needed to like, make it with chicken like really fast and cheap you know yeah. um and then amba which is iraqi i think that would be a perfect israeli sandwich yeah wow that sounds amazing actually I th- I, and i'm sounds- very hungry <laughs> <laughs> where can i order it yeah. um, at uh at our restaurant merkaz in merkaz, philadelphia that's you know the that. newest yeah. one yeah that's the newest one okay. yeah well, how is it going i mean with covid and everything i mean it's been a really shitty year but it's we're gonna be okay we're making it getting better yeah, so we opened Merkaz, and then we opened the Shipudia called Laser Wolf, um, and uh, and Laser Wolf was five weeks old when we had to shut down, um, but we oh, made wow. it through with delivery. We have a lot of outdoor seating and all that stuff, so we're doing well. Uh, we opened the Kfar, which is is two years old now, which is our bakery as well, and then. Um, Zahavi, Fisher, Goldie, we have three of those, three Dizengoffs, which are like homeless places, and then Federal Donuts, which is donuts, chicken, and coffee. So we have five yeah. of those. And, yeah. and, all, and everything is open right now, right? Everything's open. Okay. Yeah. So everyone should travel there. I'm going to travel there. When are you coming, dude? Can you come I, and hang out with us, please? Yes. Come please. and hang out in Philly for like a little bit, yeah? I mean, if I, if I could get a table at Zahav, I would have planned a trip. I think I can. I got you. One. I got you, friend. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Um, I, had, I, had, I have another question on that uh, from Olive Bet Jewelry on Instagram. She asked, um, they asked, sorry, um, what does a chef make for himself? Like, okay, so I understand what's your favorite ones, but what do you make yourself when you're hungry? 
what would be like your go-to dish? <laughs> Super embarrassing. It's like it's, it's like rice. Yeah. It's rice or it's like peanut butter and jelly or um yeah, I don't know. It's nothing that exciting. Cereal usually, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have, a, I have a good friend that is also a chef in Israel, and he's he's making the most basic stuff for himself. Yeah, it's, it's, a it's thing, embarrassing. Right? It's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I think well, th there's a lot of more questions, but I don't want to uh, to keep you. I mean, we should definitely do that again when you have more time. Um, I mean, whatever you want. If you have more questions and you want to ask, let's let's do it. You know. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, like I'm here. I have, I have all this for you. Oh my God, you're crazy. Okay. I'm so privileged to have this conversation with you. Um, uh, in, your, in your restaurants, you, uh, you mastered bringing Israeli flavors into perfect gastronomic experience for your guests. Um, however, uh, in your we discussed that with, with that, that you said in the movie that, you're, um, uh, that you've ignored sometimes Ashkenazi cuisine, but you mentioned yes. that you're bringing that uh, into many of your restaurants, like yes. one of them, right? Um, just one second. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think we covered basically everything. I don't want to, to be more repetitive. Well, I would just ask, yeah, sorry. I want to ask you a question because, you know, Europe is obviously really, really different. And we mm -hmm. talked a little bit about Britain and I want to come back to that. And I just feel like there's this sort of like guilt thing that the UK has, right? right. Where they like accept no responsibility in any of this, bow out, implicate Israel. You could probably argue that there's like, a, I don't know, there's definitely like anti-Semitism in Europe. There's anti-Semitism everywhere. I get it. Um, but I was like really scared. I mean, the elections... The last elections in Europe, in, in England, I was like, wow, Labour Party, I cannot believe people support them at all. This is fucking insane. And then also, um, recently, um, the uh, acquittal of, uh, of the, the man in, in Paris that murdered somebody, uh, it was an anti-Semitic act, threw her out of a window after smoking fucking pot. I mean, I don't know what world we live in where this is okay. How do you, I mean, how is it for you? I mean, we're looking at, I'm looking at Israel and sort of conflict or the Middle East from the United States. Um, but I do, uh, yeah, somebody's saying anti-Semitism in the UK is far more tangible than the US. I mean, what, what how, what is going on? over there and how do you reconcile with all these things <laughs> yeah no it's very hard it's very difficult i mean for me the reason that i'm so involved in pro-israel advocacy and fighting anti-semitism online and offline is because when i first arrived here from israel i i've seen all this anti-semitism i grew up with different type of anti-semitism for me it was anti-semitism that my family faced during the farhood in iraq and and my family faced in tunisia my father was forced out with his family from tunisia because of you know, Tunisian anti-Semitism. So it wasn't, it wasn't driven from the same type of hatred that you're seeing here from, you know, it came from, from my family experienced it from Arabs and Muslims. And when I was in Israel, I also faced the, the anti-Semitism or the violence that I faced was because of the conflict. But I think in the West, it was more, when I, when I came to the West and I've experienced this, you know, hatred for, um, from, from white people was, it was something that I faced for the first time. And, and I, and then I learned more about this and it's, uh, um, I think, you know, when, when the elections here happened in, in the UK, um, my, my, my partner is Mark, is, is on the left, and most of his friends are Labour supporter. 
Um, and one of them told me, you know, you, you need to understand that it's important for us to vote for labor because we have to take care of social issues in this country. I said, but you understand that, you know, majority of Jews, 85% of Jews were telling them that the leader of Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, is an anti-Semite. So why would you ignore that? And, and, but they're saying, they said, he said to me, it's fine because the Jews have it well. So it's fine for us to focus on uh, saving the country and saving starving kids, um, even if it's on the pri in the price of, of harming Jews. So that was so shocking for me because that was exactly, you know, threw me back to national socialism, which the Nazis brought with them. And that's, it really, I think that really changed my whole perspective. And that was someone that was very liberal, that was, you know, with me, we agreed on everything, on trans rights, on, on um, um, progressive issues, on everything other than Jews. And I feel like, and that's why I'm, I'm fighting so hard for me, to, for, for progressive, for, for the left, for where I feel comfortable at, where I know that the right will never expect, accept me as someone that is, that believes in everything I believe in, in social justice, in equality, in, in, in everything that I am, has to be on the left. Um, but then when it comes to Jews, it seems like the left in, in the West is just, has this blind spot. So I'm, I'm not willing to give up. And I know a lot of people have been giving up on, on the left or saying that we can do without them. We can't do without them. And we have to be part of it. And I think that's why the Jewish community, and the Jewish community should not, like, uh, like the history of the Jewish community in the West, in America, marching with Martin Luther King, fighting for social justice, Harvey Milk, all of those giants of social justice, Jewish social justice movement um, that, that led such a change, um, you know, we should, we should respect and honor them by fighting to make sure that their legacy is not forgotten. Is that something that you're also feeling in, in, in America? Well, I guess I get, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm always thought I was like relatively progressive, you know, but I also, I, I guess I also get scared. I mean, we talk about the sort of national socialism and, and I just always either right or wrong. I am always just worried that like Jews are going to get pushed under the bus, you know, and I just don't, and I don't like want to see that. And the same thing, I mean, this is probably where it comes back with like Israel where I'm like, it's objectified and it's this sort of instrument you know, it's the sort of like thing that people discuss. And I don't love, you know, I'm a Democrat um, in the States, and, but I don't think that I like, it concerns me. I, I get concerned about all this stuff. And I think that like the labor leader and then even like some of the hyper progressives in the US, which maybe at one point I could sort of identify with. And I'm like, at what point are you going to like objectify this country that I'm from and, um, and use me for some sort of political agenda. And, you know, it's the same thing, like Jews have it so good in the UK, don't worry about it. And I'm like, yeah, famous last words, right? <laughs> what usually happens after that? Like, come on, no, no way. So it is a really tricky thing. And I mean, I, and I think that, um, and I, I think don't think Jews are having it well, you know, Jews are, we're people, like every people. There's some people that make it well and some that are not, but people have like this fixation on, you know, look at all the, the Jews that, ha that made it well. Yeah, but some, like there's poor Jews and there's, the Jews come in every color and in every, you know, in every social and economic section. Whenever there's like a conspiracy theory or whenever there is like Holocaust denial and then, uh, I mean, obviously like, criticism of Israel that is not like a sort of overstated. I mean, listen, like, again, 
if I were a Palestinian in a check, like that had to, you know, that grew up in Aza or that had to wait in um, lines and, and, and was degraded or, or even lived in Israel and was a second class citizen, there's no fucking way I'm going to be like, wow, the UN is really unfair towards Israel. Like, of course not. Right. Of course not. You're going to like, you feel like you've been wronged and you, in a lot of and you have been right. But I think that the issue that I have, and, and this is probably for another conversation, but fuck it, we're here together, is like what I want is for the world to see that like perhaps things might be a little bit unbalanced. And, right. and like, and the same thing like last year, you know, we were protesting and we were marching um, for marginalized black community in the US, you know, but very, very quickly, I saw a lot of like anti-Israel, anti-Semitic right. stuff happening. And I was like, uh, something about this, you know? And it didn't, I mean, listen, there was an autistic Palestinian that was killed by Israeli police in Jerusalem within the same week as George Floyd getting murdered, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are things that um, as a Jew and an Israeli and as a human being, I, I grieve and we mourn. And of like, of course, this is something that, we, that, we, that cannot happen not under our watch, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, again, I'm not like an apologist for like the Israeli government at this moment. I don't believe right. in these policies. These are things that I publicly vote against that I advocate against as well, but you can't just lump an entire population of people mm-hmm. together. You can't just boycott an entire country, 67 of which agree with, you know, that are, that are like equal rights openly in the terms yeah. that they vote, you know? It was amazing to see all those people that are, that are advocating to boycott all Israelis because of our government in the last four years saying that, you know, fighting against Trump, but not seeing that the double standards of saying to us, you know, to Israelis, you're, this is your government, this is who you are, all you, and, and even Jews, you're, why are you representing the Israeli government? Why is, why, I have friends here that are telling me every time someone finds out, and I, I face it also as soon as, but I'm Israeli, so immediately I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Israeli agent, you know? But, but even Jews in, in Britain need to be defenders of Israel. Why? I mean, why, why is that your, it's not your position, you know? Right. Right. I mean, that, that, right, exactly. And you're like, I don't make policy when Trump was in power here. There are like mm. things that, again, we're like anti. And the idea that like, just this one entity is so bad, so evil that, that you have to, you know, if you are Israeli, then you are like anti this and anti that. And I just, I don't buy it, you know? Right. So I, I get, and then also like, again, in the States, we have this issue with like, we see this problem from thousands of miles away and we like know how to fix it. Or maybe we feel guilty here in the U S because we're on stolen land. Right. And that we're a, a country who's, talk who, about that. <laughs> yeah, we're a country whose economy started by slavery and I don't know, can't manage to elect a female president, right? When Israel had a female prime minister in the seventies. So I don't know. I mean, I think about that a lot too, especially like, um, I don't know, college campuses, particularly in California. And I'm always like, my God, California was fucking Mexico a hundred years before Israeli independence as was Texas. Yeah. Let's give it back. Yeah. Let's give it back. I mean, um, a lot of times it's, it's easier to deal with, as you said, with a conflict that is thousands of miles away uh, when you can't deal with the issues at home. And I mean, that's, uh, I, I had this, this argument with, well, not argument, conversation with this anti-Zionist and I asked her like, okay, so if you're saying that we need to, and she lives in, in Ithaca in New York, her name is Ariel Gold. And, and I asked like, if, if you're saying that we need to leave Israel because we're on stolen land, 
you need to leave your country as well because you're on the burial side of, of Native Americans. Like, but the question is, where do you go, going to go back to? She said that because she has Sephardi roots, she, she thinks she's indigenous to Spain. Uh, oh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Come on. Come on. Every single nation state, every single nation state is created on the backs of other people, right? Exactly. There is no country that is not experienced and that is not marginalized. I mean, Christ, here in the States, why don't you go to Flint, Michigan right now, where there are like literally black communities that don't have access to clean water, okay? Okay, like it's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. How many like what's the ratio of black men going to prison versus white? Do you think that that is like not systemic? I mean, it's totally messed up. And what's the, what's the, uh, you know, what am I saying right now? What is like the statute of limitation on land or cultural appropriation? Mm. Does it end here in the U S because right. like, because I like post, I like repost woke stuff all day long. No, I'm still privileged. Your friend in New York is still privileged. She Should she go so, back to Spain? So <laughs> I know, but everybody, we all do that. And we do it the worst here in the States as well. Yeah. We sit from 10,000 miles away and watch three minutes of the news and decide that we like know what's best for everybody else. It's freaking nonsense. Yeah, but, but the point of the conversation on indigeneity is to understand where people come from. It's not to use it as a sword to push people away. It's not to understand the Jews, to recognize that Jews are indigenous to Judea, to Israel doesn't mean that Palestinians shouldn't live there or that we should force them out or, or that Palestinians have no connection to this land, you know? Of course, just, of course, of course. And, there's, and that's the thing that I always like have issue with. It can't be one or the other, right? We as Jews and as humans and as Israelis mm -hmm. cannot advocate for policies that are anti-equal rights. That is crazy. That is totally, totally insane. And that also has been done to us and we can't do it. And I'm not making a comparison to like Nazi Germany and genocide. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that we can't sit by and say, we're advocate, we're turning a different, all the Jewish values, all the this and that, all the outreach, all the tikkun alam that we live and breathe, we're going to ignore because we're uncomfortable with like this part of our history or reality, right? You cannot do that. But that is not a reason to say that like Israel doesn't have the right to exist either. You know, and if you look at like the machine, I mean, people in the States, we do this a lot too. We, we focus on the propaganda or at least in our circles, right? Because right. we're also minorities in this whole thing as well. Like in our right. circles, I get really sensitive when people talk about Israeli propaganda and I'm like, well, again, let's look at like then the textbooks in like Saudi Arabia. Like, what are you talking about? Like right. there's propaganda everywhere and there's certainly propaganda against Jews in Israel too, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I get it. I get, I know it while it's happening. You instrumentalize, you objectify, and you, um, you know, use this conflict as a way to sort of... Divert forget. attention. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's like totally nonsense. But, um, but those are things that we, we, we have to accept. And, you know, again, in the States, especially because you look at how quickly sort of people cling on to an idea. And if, quite honestly, if I were probably not Israeli and maybe just, a liberal Jew here in the U.S., I would I maybe feel differently. I'd be more vocal mm. about things. And not to say that I'm not vocal. I mean, I've basically been upfront about how I feel with any of this stuff. However, you know, I think that, like, your politics sort of on the outside, like, totally mitigate the way that you think and feel about everything, you know? Yeah. In the States, it's, like, I don't know. It's silly. I guess it's the same thing in the U.K., and I don't even know what... France, I don't know what it would be like to be a Jew 
and for answer to have it's Israeli really hard. I mean, nine out of 10 French Jewish students just said last year that they've experienced anti-Semitism. So I believe it's, uh, it's you know, the French Jewish community. But where did they escape? They come in mass numbers to Israel. So that's, uh, yeah. that's the question that I always pose to anti-Zionists. I'm saying, okay, if you're an anti-Zionist, where, where should the Jewish community escape next time that a country turns on us? Where should we go? Well, and it's also like this thing where it's like, this idea that like anti-Semitism only started with like Zionism and you're like, right. <laughs> absolutely not. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, like it's just like lazy. It's just not true. And you're like, Oh, or even under Ottoman rule, it was so peaceful. And you're like, there weren't equal rights then either. What the fuck are you talking about? It doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. But like, um, so I think that people also have to stop that. And you're absolutely right. Where are we going to go? I'm not going to sit around and like, wait, on the idea that like perhaps all these people that have like publicly or politically called for my extermination, what do you think? If we're like, you know what, let's, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we'll just, we'll go to Uganda, right? <laughs> uh, and but I mean, uh, even in the West, when you see like Corbyn and you see other politicians getting power, you, you must ask yourself, and I have Jewish friends here that have thought about, I mean, many, and I think 40% of British Jews were thinking about making Aliyah in case Jeremy Corbyn becomes the prime minister. So like we can't count on, on the goodwill of, of our, um, of our brother, you know, of our non-Jewish uh, um, fellows here that clearly don't have our best interests in, in heart. Um, so of course we want, uh, we, we want to have an alternative and, and we need not an alternative, but we need a safe haven. And it's not just because we need it because we feel like we need it, but based on historic incidents yeah. that in every generation we were, you know, we were moved in wholesale numbers and killed and faced genocide in everywhere around the world from, you know, from Europe to everywhere we were. We are like, literally, we've been practicing survival <clears throat> since day one. And I remember, you know, my mom, uh, we used to lead Holocaust seminars in Pittsburgh, in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh. Mm. And, um, you know, like I, you know, there was like always the season that she would be like teaching these and I'd always go into our basement and she'd be like smoking like mentholated cigarettes, watching like Triumph of the Spirit or like these like, you know, sort of like pre Schindler's List Holocaust things. And it was like, I went to a Solomon Schechter school and I wrote um, my paper on, you know, partisan like uprisings and so on and so forth. And you get it crammed down your throat and you're like, and it's true. It's because if you don't do that, like who knows what's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. And I just feel like that is kind of what you have to do. And, and listen, it, it might sound paranoid, but I'm like, how many Holocaust deniers are there? Tons, tons, right? Mm -hmm. Tons. And I'm like, and I don't need to like, again, I don't need to like sit around and like wait for somebody to like help us out. It doesn't ever doesn't happen it doesn't ever work and it hasn't happened in thousands of years so yeah. um but that is why we do what we do and that's why we advocate and i also think that as we talked about this before and i'll continue to say it you're when it comes to things like israel you're like either on one side or the other and i just find that to be ridiculous and yeah. again another sort of double standard so it's important that we continue to do this yeah absolutely and i and i really hope we can do that again i saw a few people ask about the movie the documentaries uh, the name is In Search of Israeli Cuisine. You can find it on uh, Amazon videos and other places online. Um, and the restaurants, again, can you just tell people, because I'm sure everyone like me are going to, um, oh, good. Um, to look it up later. But um, yeah, 
ahead. So it's uh, Zahav. It is Abe Fisher. It is Kfar or Kfar. My race is terrible. K-F-A-R. <laughs> Uh, it is Laser Wolf, Merkaz, Goldie, Diesengoff, Federal Donuts. Shachach. I said Merkaz, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Well, that's later all. later on they can go also to your profile um, to make sure that uh, they're, they're checking each and every one of these restaurants. I'm gonna make a trip to Philly and hopefully again if I if you know anyone that can help me get a table. Uh, I got you. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, um, Mike, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and for everything you're doing. You're an incredible leader in our community. Um, so happy we have you. I mean, we all are, are just forever in depth for, for everything you're doing for our people, for our community, and bringing so much joy to the world with what you're doing. Um, so thank you. Uh, make sure everyone to follow uh, Mike and to check the restaurants. And, uh, and I can't wait to meet you in person soon, hopefully. I know. And thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. And I hope that everybody here follows you. I really feel like your voice is uh, of the utmost importance right now. And um, I don't know, we'll hang out one of these days. Are you going back to Israel anytime soon or no? Yeah, I'm going in, in May at the end of May for a wedding, but then I'm coming to America in like early June. So I'll be in touch with you. I, I'm, I, I will make the trip to, to Philly. All right. So. You have to now, because I'll be super pissed off if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> promise, promise. All right. Um, thank you so much. Make sure you save the video after that, okay? So All right. The, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to X out of this, and yeah. then there'll be a save option. I think I'll be okay. All right? Okay. Everybody out there in Insta, guys, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for joining us. And we'll probably have to do this again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Sure. But everybody, everybody follow Hen right now. All right? <laughs> Thanks, Bye. Mike. Talk soon. See ya.